Well, hello, my friends. Welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett. So glad that you're joining me today. And, uh, you know, according to a 2020 poll, most Americans believe that the United States Congress is morally corrupt. Now, that probably doesn't take you by surprise, does it? But what really surprised me as we talk about the Christian and the government today is that 63% of Americans told a pollster they believe the House and the Senate are immoral. But nearly 9 out of 10 said morality is important to them. But at the same time, only a few people prefer a moral candidate to an effective one. The poll asked Americans, would you prefer a candidate who is more moral but less effective? And uh, did you know that 60% of Americans said, well, I don't know about that. Uh, but uh, most said that actually answered the question, said, I'd rather have somebody more effective than more moral. So as we think about the corruption of government, I don't think anybody would deny or debate me that we have a corrupt government. Oh, we may not be as corrupt as some, but we are down that path of corruption. But as you look at the government, the government represents the people. It's a reflection of the people. And if we are putting people in office that we don't care about their morality, we just care that they're effective, uh, that they get me what I want, then there's no wonder that we have corruption within the government. Now, some people would say, as a result of what I just spoke, that the greatest problem facing America right now is our government. But I want you to know, 66% of Americans believe that there is no such thing as absolute truth. Now, among young adults, that percentage is even higher. Uh, 72%, between 18 and 25 do not believe absolutes exist. And it's kind of like the guy says, I don't believe in absolute truths. Now, I always would ask the question uh, that you just made an absolute statement. Does that include the statement that you just made? Well, you know, as we look at this, in spite of all of these findings, we are not the first generation to experience denial of truth. It goes way back to Adam and Eve, right? Adam could not come to grips with the truth that he had partaken of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so what did you do? Instead of embracing that truth and saying, yes, Lord, yes, God, I did partake. I says, well, it, wasn't, it really wasn't me. It was that woman you gave me, right? And what does Eve do? Eve does the same thing. Uh, she doesn't want to embrace the truth that she has been disobedient to God. And she says, it's that serpent that you gave me. So when we look at the denial of truth, this is not a new phenomenon. It's as old as humanity. It is as old as Adam and Eve themselves. And if we look at all this denial of truth, when Jesus was being questioned by Pilate, Pilate asked him a very important question. John chapter 18. So you are king. Pilate says. And Jesus responded, you say I'm king. Actually, I was born and I came into the world to testify to the truth. All who love the truth recognize that this is what I say and this is true. And now Pilate is a fascinating character. Uh, he's your typical politician, right? Uh, he was in charge of Jerusalem. And uh, you know that expression, politicians make strange bedfellows. Well, Pilate really hated Herod. Herod was above Pilate, and so Pilate says, well, I'm going to get out of this situation, and uh, I'm going to send 
Jesus to Herod. And I'm going to let Herod make a decision as to what to do with Jesus. Well, Herod kicks him back and says, no, that's your problem, Pilate. You got to deal with him. Well, in the meantime, Pilate's wife has this dream uh, that something's really bad is going to happen. She's really nervous that something bad is going to happen in relationship to her husband, Pilate, dealing with Jesus. And she basically says, Pilate, you, you better stay away from this one, right? And you know the story, right? Pilate tries to wash his hands of the case. He gives it before the people. He's wanted to give them Barabbas, as was the custom, just before Passover, that they would release a criminal just before Passover. And it was basically a token of appeasement to the Israelites. And so Pilate says, well, uh, it, it is at the eve of Passover. Can I give you Barabbas? And what do they do? They cry out, no, crucify him. And uh, let Jesus go free is what Pilate was uh, suggesting. But they said, no, 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 give us Barabbas. Uh, Let Jesus be condemned. But as we get back to John 18, Jesus is responding that he is truth. And he says, all who love me recognize what I say is true. But what does Pilate do? Pilate gives a three-word question. He doesn't deny that Jesus is king. He says, oh, no, no, you're not the king. Uh, You're delusional. He doesn't say that. He says, what is truth? And then he went out again to the people and told them, he's not guilty of any crime. But you have this custom of asking me to release one prisoner each year at Passover. Would you like me to release this king of the Jews? And you know the story. They cried out, no, give us Barabbas. Crucify him. Crucify Jesus, right? So when we think about the backdrop of this subject that we're looking at today and tomorrow, we're looking at this subject of government, the Christian and his response to government. So I want to ask uh, and answer three questions. Number one, why was government created? Number two, what is the purpose of government? And then number three, what is my response as a believer to government. We're going to be looking at Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 7. Now, Paul is writing, and he says, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. All right, everyone. That means all y'all, everyone be subject to the governing authorities. Now, he makes a very broad statement. He doesn't uh, distinguish between which government authority. So, all people being subject to all governing authorities. And he says, Why? Because there's no authority except which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. So consequently, whoever rebels against authority is rebelling against God, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. So we learn from these first couple of verses, the job of the government is to establish rule and order. Paul is talking about the fact that God has instituted us. Now, here's a hard truth, right? We are to be subject to the government, not because the government is always right, but because of the fact that God established government to bring rule and order. You see, authority is what God represents, and he has delegated that authority through three human institutions, the first being the family, Uh, the second being the government, and the third being the church. 
And so here Paul tells us, let everyone be subject to the authorities. Now, if you're like me, the first question I ask is why? Why should I be subject to the authorities? And I really want you to listen to this whole message because if you pick up part of this message, you may misunderstand where I'm going. But here it says we are to be subject to the authorities because it is a God-given authority, not only given by God, but established by God. You see, government was God's idea for the purpose of establishing rule and order. I want to bring this way back to the book of Genesis. When original sin entered humanity through Adam and Eve, you know they had a family. They were called to be fruitful and to multiply. Uh, They had two sons. They had Cain and Abel. We discovered that very early in human history. Now, can you imagine being Adam and Eve? I mean, you are the couple that were created perfect in the image of God. Uh, You were the first couple to be created, but you were also the first couple to enter into sin and to bring sin into humanity. So this perfect couple brings sin. And the book of Genesis is a book of the beginnings, right? Uh, We have the beginning of creation. We have the beginning of the fall of man, uh, the beginning of sin. But also they are the first couple to have a son who is a murderer. They are the first couple to have a son that is murdered. Unbelievable when you think about that, right? So when we look at the establishment of government, as you look at the life of Cain and Abel, you know the story, right? Cain became jealous of Abel because Abel's sacrifice, Abel was a one who uh, uh, was more of a, a tender of sheep and a tender of livestock. And so he brought an offering of livestock to offer before the Lord. But Cain was a farmer, a keeper of the land. Uh, he produced vegetables. And so he brought uh, his first fruits offering. And God says to Cain, listen, it's got to be an animal sacrifice. It's got to be a perfect sacrifice. And he says to Cain, if you do what is right, listen, there's hope for you, right? God is not sealing your fate. You have a second opportunity to get this right. If you get it right, then that's great, right? But if you don't, there's a phrase in the Bible that is used nowhere else in Scripture. God says to Cain that sin is crouching at your door. It's about to pounce on you, right? Now, notice that God is not so upset that he brought the wrong sacrifice. God's bringing him the opportunity to get that right. And he's not even calling that a sin. He's saying that sin is crouching at the door. Sin is about to pounce on him if he doesn't respond well. If he responds with jealousy, then sin is going to pounce on him. And that's what he did. He gave into that that desire to feed into his anger. And we know the rest of the story. He kills his brother, Abel. And then he does the same thing his mom and dad do. They Adam and Eve taught him well, right? The denial game. Deny, 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 right? And so God comes to Cain and says, where's your brother Abel? Well, he knew exactly where his brother was. Cain didn't answer the question. He answered the question with another question. He's playing Mr. Attorney here, right? Uh, he's playing, I'm, I'm going to be slick on this one. He doesn't ask the question as to where his brother is. He gives another question and says, am I my brother's keeper? Am I responsible for him? Uh, well, the implied answer is, of course you're responsible for your brother. He's your brother. 
You are responsible for your brother. But that sin had pounced on Cain. He became so filled with envy and hatred for his brother Abel uh, that he kills his brother. Now, some people look at that story and say, look it, uh, God allowed Cain to get away with murder. Uh, Well, that's not the case at all. Cain was marked for the rest of his life. Pain of regret, he lived with the rest of his life, but God protected Cain. Now, some people say, well, why did God protect him? Why did God apparently allow him to get away with it? Now, he didn't get away with it. There were some severe consequences that never left his family because of this sin of murder. But the reason God didn't execute his judgment upon Cain is because at that point, human government had not been established. Now, that doesn't take place till Genesis chapter 6. And so we're looking at this story here, and we're seeing God established a family. Secondly, God established human government with the purpose to rule and the purpose to bring order. And then God established a third institution. It is called the church. Now, these three primary institutions are the uh, lifelong institutions of humanity, family, government, and the church. But I want you to know, One day the family won't be here. One day the government won't be here. One day the church won't be here. Daniel says that God changes times and he changes seasons. He removes kings and he sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. When we think about the government, there's only one government that will stand the test of time, and that's the kingdom of God. There was a PBS series done, and it was called Civilizations. And what this program did was they would do a a series of surveys, and they would look at some of the cultures that have gone out of existence, that have become extinct. And so near the end of the first episode, their viewers are taken to a a Mayan city in Mexico. Now, this Mayan city was, was once one of the most influential metropolitan areas of this vast empire. It was known as the kingdom of the snake. Well, entombed beneath the canopy of trees are the remains of more than 6,500 buildings. Now, the tallest is this massive, ornately decorated temple. And it's got these steps that go up to 180 feet. To put that in perspective, this is like a 15-story building. Now, this is a, a civilization uh, that has been abandoned now for more than a thousand years. Well, standing at the foot of this massive building, they explain that there's, there's a rationale behind their reasoning of building so many buildings. They had built 6,500 buildings. Uh, so their mindset was, if we keep on building, keep on getting bigger, and keep on getting stronger, we will be a kingdom that never dies. Well, ultimately, all civilizations want exactly that. They want to be able to to thrive, and so they build bigger and higher and grander. It's like we can work our way through, and and we will live forever. Our civilization will live forever, but it, it never works. There always comes a moment when the most populous of cities with their markets and their temples and their palaces and their tombs, and uh, they become abandoned. And that most strong nations still 
can fall, still will fall. All nations, all civilizations eventually come to an end. But Isaiah talks about a government which will stand the test of time. Isaiah 9-7 says, Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Isaiah is talking about the kingdom of God that will be initiated not at Jesus' first coming, but as his second coming. So we've learned today that God gives us the family, human government, and the church. And the purpose of government is to be involved in bringing about order and rule within a society. I think about Cain. Cain was protected from having government come down and punish him because government wasn't established. So God protected Cain, and God took that matter into his hands personally in dealing with his sin. Well, let's talk secondly about what is the purpose of government. The purpose of government is really simple. On the foundational level, Paul says in Romans 13, 3 and 4, rulers hold no terror for those who do what is right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from the fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. For God's servants are agents of wrath to bring about punishment on wrongdoers. So here we see the purpose of government, twofold purpose. Number one, to reward good. If you do what is right, there is nothing that you have to fear. And then to punish evil. For rulers do not bear the sword for no reason or bear the sword in vain. So if you do right, you don't have to be fearful of the government. Well, you might say, but what if the government gets it wrong? And instead of rewarding good, they start to reward evil. Instead of punishing evil, they start to reward evil. How should we respond? Well, we are still not to be fearful of the government, even a government that is wrong. Now, remember when Paul is writing this. Paul is writing during this Roman civilization. Did you know that Christianity was persecuted in the Roman Empire? One would think that the spread of Christianity would have lost its influence because of uh, the severe persecution it faced. But Christians were beaten and they were imprisoned. They were starved. They were burned alive. They were torn apart by wild beasts. Uh, They were put on an arena uh, as amusement for the Romans. They were crucified. However, the persecutions from these evil, vile governments did not last or stop the new religion, the new faith. It actually strengthened the determination of the most faithful. It actually saw people won over. You see, the exponential growth of the church in the first 300 years of its existence, they had no church buildings, they had no denominations, they had no money, they had no structure. These were a ragtag group of guys, the apostles and the followers of Christ, who had witnessed the resurrected Savior and were given a great commission by God himself. They were given the Holy Spirit, and they go out and they do mighty things, all because of what Christ did in them. Well, when we think about 
the responsibilities and the purpose of the government. The purpose of the government is to punish evil, reward good. But if you are under a government that is not punishing evil or is not rewarding good, how to respond? Well, I think that we still are not to be fearful. And I really want to drive home this point because I think that we got a glimpse of a government that can overreach and even infringe on our our religious liberties as believers in Christ during COVID. And uh, during COVID, we experienced a government shutting down churches, but allowing ABC stores to be open. They were uh, very uh, adamant about churches not being able to meet. Now, this created a moral dilemma. And I, I don't know how all the other churches responded, but I know what we did at Hickory Ridge Community Church. We understood that God has commanded us to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. We are commanded to meet in person. And so we do this at least on a weekly basis. Then we do it throughout the week through small groups. And so all of a sudden they said, well, you can't gather in church settings, right? So what did we do? Well, we decided that we would try to do the best we can to appease the government restrictions, but we also wanted to uh, be obedient to God, and we didn't want to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. So we did 95 Sundays of drive-in church, and it was an amazing thing how God worked that out, and we were able to to still gather and worship every week. And, uh, you know, all during those 95 Sundays, it blew my mind that we had very few Sundays that were super cold, very few Sundays that were super hot, and uh, very few Sundays that it rained to such a point we couldn't have church. As a matter of fact, we had church every single Sunday. And the amazing thing is we had our service at 10 o'clock, and it seems like sometimes it'd be raining, and then all of a sudden about 9, 9.30, it would stop. We'd have church, and then as soon as church was over, <laughs> the floodgates would open again, and we'd have a rainstorm. Or it would be super cold, but it'd, it'd warm up and uh, the wind would stop blowing so we could have church. It was just phenomenal, in my opinion, in my little pea brain opinion of how God protected us during that time. But Jesus weighs in, I think, on this matter. If we're under a government that is coercing us to do things that are wrong, this is what Jesus says. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Now, if we just stop right there, some would think, well, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake because God's going to take care of us. Uh, It doesn't say that. It says, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You see, when we are advancing the kingdom of God, when our allegiance is to the kingdom of heaven, we are blessed even if we are persecuted. It continues on. Jesus says, God blesses you when people mock you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad, for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And then he says, remember this, the ancient prophets, they were persecuted in the same way. You see, when we think about being punished for doing good, or we see a government that would reward evil, I want you to know you have a great reward in heaven. When you are punished wrongly for doing right, you are part of the kingdom of heaven. You know, we can find comfort when we are persecuted because we are in good company. The ancient prophets, they were also persecuted for doing what is right. Jesus himself was persecuted for doing right. You see, sometimes God tolerates 
evil leaders who has a greater purpose to fulfill. You see, government can only go so far before God makes a change. Our allegiance is to the King of Kings and to the Lord of Lords. The psalmist weighs in on this matter and he says, The kingship belongs to the Lord. He rules over the nations. We held this intention, right? Because 1 Peter reminds us, 1 Peter 2.13, that we're to be subject to the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether that be the emperor as supreme or, or as to governors sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. Oh, my friends, would you join me tomorrow as we have part two, and we're going to talk about what is the Christian's responsibility? How do we respond to the government? So join me tomorrow. Now, if I can pray for you, I would love to pray for you. You know, I think that God does nothing but answer prayer. And when we pray to Him, believing, we see our prayers answered. If you have a concern that you need prayer over, shoot me a text message at 252-267-2365. God bless you for listening today. So thankful to give this message to you. Join me for part two tomorrow, The Christian and His Liberty. If you'd like to hear this broadcast again, you can have a free download at buzzsprout.com backslash 1890557, or you can listen on Amazon, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are 9 a.m. and 1030 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, go to hrcc7.org. And remember, no matter what you're going through, in Jesus Christ, there is always hope for your heart.